I'm Jordan Rodrigue from The Athletic, the host of a new narrative podcast called The Play Callers, a series about innovation, competition, and even self-destruction within the NFL's youngest coaching family. The Play Callers will take listeners inside some of the brightest minds in football like you've never heard them before. Featuring exclusive interviews with Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniel, and many others. The entire series will be out on Monday, July 10th on the Athletic Football Show podcast feed. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I react to whatever in the ever-living heck happened Sunday afternoon in Boston in Game 7 going over how we think that will impact the Sixers' future. One quick note, we did record this, like legitimately, I think we finished recording this like five minutes before the news came out, that Doc Rivers had been fired. So the last 15 minutes of the podcast is Rich and I going over whether or not we thought Doc Rivers would be back and whether he should be back. And I guess sort of as a spoiler, we both thought he would be fired. After listening back to that section of the podcast, I think pretty much all of that still holds up. I think it's worth keeping in there, and we will have another podcast here on Thursday after Daryl Morey talks to the media. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. Nobody else is, though. No, no. And to be honest, like that was a fucking kick in the groin. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it was a little bit intentional to take a day or two off before we sort of had this podcast. I like to collect my thoughts on season enders like this. Also, there's just <clears throat> it's not like we have to break have a film breakdown of what the hell happened in game seven because there's no game eight. There's no adjustments to be made. The season's fucking over. Nobody needs there's a no deep game dive one. Next, on next a funeral. Series. Yeah. But I also think it's important for us to sort of because like you can get swept up in the moment, even even people like us, even writers, sometimes that's fishing for clicks, which certainly does happen. Not I don't think you or I, but you can also just get swept up emotionally in the moment and overreact to, uh, you know, a hashtag not great third quarter that ended the Sixers season. But I think even after, you know, what's it been now over 36 hours, not quite 48. Even after all that time, I'm not sure that my takes or my stance has you know, softened at all. That was a fucking embarrassment. That was incredible. That was incredible. Mine really haven't changed that much either. I think I, I can probably put them in the proper perspective a little bit better, but the the content of them have not really changed. And it's funny, a couple of years ago, I had a thing where during the Zoom era, I uh, I tweeted out a quote of Joel Embiid that was not his full quote and got absolutely ripped for that. Yep. It was for the Ben Simmons game, the after the Hawks game. I got absolutely ripped for that. Yesterday, when people were fishing for clicks with his long quote about can't win five on five James Harden type stuff, I put out the full quote. I had a couple people thank me, but then I had a lot of people say, why are you putting out the full quote? That's horrible, too. Yeah. <laughs> and well, and then I had like, people, like when James answered about his relationship with Doc, he said, we're okay. And people are like, why are you clipping that? I'm like, no, it's actually not the no. clip. That's exactly what he said word for word, the entirety of it. 
Look, I think yeah. our our hashtag journalism w- was good on. That. I think I think James was fine for one tweet, and Joel was not. Like I think right. Joel needed more than that, even though people didn't want to hear it. Whatever. And but Joe's answer I, wasn't. Oh, I we're getting a little off topic, but Joe's answer wasn't great, even with the full context. But it was probably better than that clip suggested. Definitely the the one CBS clip was crazy, where you just they, they tweeted out the worst two sentences of it. Anyway, that is my way to get us. To get us back on topic, that is my way to point out that that was a disgrace. That was a humiliating performance from top on down. And I understand why people would even say, we don't care about what the the full quote was. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it was just that bad of a performance. And I get it. You know, that I, I, that's my, uh, my way of saying that. And uh, look, man, I, I think my first take real quick here is, there have been a lot of times in Joel Embiid's career that the Sixers have lost that game. Like it's just they don't win game sevens. They they lose. They have not in his career ever won a second round series. But I, I would go like I would actually get more specific than this. They have not beaten a good team in the playoffs before. All the teams they beat, they have more talent than. Like it's these first round wins where they beat up on the the kind of you know the cute fun regular season teams, when they get into a long series, when they have a series where both teams make each other look bad, as as happens in kind of these slugfest long series, they are never on top. And he is the one common do- denominator of this. And a lot of the time, we could point and say, well, he, he didn't fix it, but but there, there was another... Yeah. Fo- there's another fire over here. Like, no, look, look he at was that. at like, the center of this one. Yeah, and and you look at let's just even just look at the last two the previous two years before this year. You have Ben Simmons, just whatever. And by the way, Ben Simmons, I mean, my God, like what what are you doing from your couch making fun of the Sixers? Man, you have the worst contract in the league. Nobody wants to hear from you. It might be the last playoff win of his career. Seriously, and also, uh, thank you for. uh, I've Kendrick Perkins has gone up in my book for for. Just completely tweeting out. I was like, well, of course he's watching the game. He's watched games all year. Like, <laughs> yeah. Kendrick Perkins, who was lighting the Sixers up, deservedly so, also took time to say, no, no, Ben Simmons, you don't get to do this. That was the problem in 2021. Like, that was the the main issue. Last year, and I remember the pod very well that we did, James Harden just quit on him. It was the, the yeah. ball of didn't find me game. Like, I didn't get the ball. But look, at this point of his career... Joe has never stepped up and won one of these series. No. He's the MVP. He's the best player. And I think there was at least a current online. There was there there was some discussion of, hey, like is this guy ever going to be as good in the playoffs as he is in the regular season? Like when is his moment going to be? Because it's it's never happened. Not only did he not have that moment this year, but he was at the center of it. Um, he. You can't look the other way. And that's why that quote rubbed people the wrong way is because even if he was rambling and that's a sentiment that he kind of says a lot, like I can't win by myself, they lost because him and James Harden, but let's, but him, he was horrible. He was, it was a humiliating performance. And it's something that like, look, I know the caveats. I know he's hurt. He, he definitely, that definitely bothered him. Um, I know his defense was really important this series. Like, I don't think they get to game seven without that defense. 
you can't do that in a game seven nope. when you're the MVP of the league. You just can't do that. You can't no show. You can lose. Look, he still would have gotten a lot of crap if he lost. But after his career and the fact that he has had no great playoff moments, to to you know, to look for that signature game, and that's what it was. He was looking for the signature win. He actually had a signature game in the wrong way. Like like it was a signature this guy, until further notice, is an eighty two is probably the biggest eighty two game player in the league. And whatever he does in the future, there's going to be a big old asterisk. He's going to get a lot of skepticism because he's never done it in a game that really matters. He just never has. And that's that's my big takeaway. Yeah. And to your point, like part of his quote, um, you know, right before he said that me and James can't do it alone. He said, uh, all of us, we have to come back and find ways to keep improving and help the team. I think he, if he would have just ended it there, he probably wouldn't be getting the backlash because I think that's a fair sentiment to add. We all have to get better. You don't have to then go and point out that basketball is a five on five sport when you were the one who was the biggest. I mean, they were in that game because of their role players. They were in that game because PJ Tucker went crazy in the first quarter. They were in that game, quite frankly, because Tobias Harris was at least searching out early offense and getting out in the break and trying to do something. They were in that game, you know, because they had the role players that were making plays in the first half while their two stars were MIA. That is just not the time to, you know, remind people that basketball is a five on five sport. We fucking know. You were the biggest problem, not the biggest, maybe, well, you were at least the biggest disappointment in that game and the reason they were going home. And it's, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think sometimes the numbers themselves can be overblown a little bit in part because first round he was playing the game that they should have played with the um, yep. style that Brooklyn that. was playing. And, you know, there were times like if you would have ended the series through three quarters of game six, like he was having, putting up very good numbers, especially after getting acclimated back in game two, like games three, four, five, and the first three quarters of game six were good Joe performances. But the way that it just all fell apart so quickly, and look, you mentioned all of the qualifiers, the injury, the knee, the time off, all that stuff. He came out to start that game, and he looked like absolute dog shit on the defensive side of the court. Even before we get into the offense and the struggles, and you're shooting like two for eight in the first half or whatever it was, yep. he was not engaged. He looked like he wasn't there mentally, and it blew my like first play of the game, first Boston possession. He's defending Robert Williams 24 feet from the basket and going over top of the screen on the perimeter. You know, a couple of minutes later, uh, he completely falls asleep, loses Robert Williams again. Now, Rebound. it ended up not really mattering because Robert Williams isn't going to do anything with the ball in his hands, but you could just see with the way he reacted. He did not know where Robert Williams was on the basketball court, which is not great. He lost Al Horford really badly on a cut, with which Al ended up making that extra pass for a bucket. He was completely off balance on a Jason Tatum drive where Tatum made him look completely ridiculous on a dunk to the basket. He was not locked in at all mentally to start that game. And then he was flat-footed on defense. And this is all before we even get to his his offensive problems that continually persist in this round in the playoffs. He was just not locked in. And look, did he eventually have moments where like his effort was good and he came back? Sure. But you can't start the game the way that he started the game in the biggest game of your career. It was very deflating. Very, very deflating. This is not a Tuesday in February no. against Detroit. This is Game 7. You said after Game 6, after the horrible Game 6, you said... These are the games you dream of. These are the games when you're a kid you you, you want to play. How about you treat it like that? What yeah. is going on? And it's look, he uh 
he's in for a rough awakening, man. That unfortunately, he's going to have to own that for a long time. Like he didn't sound like he wanted to own it after the game, but uh, it's a nightmare performance. And then you mentioned the offense, right? This is the guy who scored. I, I don't know what he scored in that third game this year, but you know they were throwing the ball to him at the end of that game, yeah. and he was, as Brett Brown would say, like like horsing. They were horsing him. He was just getting bucket after bucket, tough physical play, drawing fouls, good fouls, making big shots. And then he goes 20 of 25 in that uh, fourth game. It was 2018 all over again in no, the game. that Matt, Like, horrible turnovers, post-ups. Like, and, and after the game, he's talking about, I know what I need to do to get better or whatever. What? We, we spent three years, like, yeah. watching you try to get those tunnel vision turnovers out of your head and, and play a more efficient game. And at the biggest point, they pop up again. What are we supposed to do with that? That was exactly in my notes. This looked like a game straight out of 2018. From the, you know, trying to establish post position to struggles to get the ball to him to bad fadeaways to not being able to, you know, overtake Al Horford to turnovers to not having any kind of a real plan of attack to counter any of that. It looked exactly like a Celtic Sixer series in 2018. And for all of the work that he put in to have that face up game, that that pocket pass from James, which credit to the Celtics, they took away very aggressively and the Sixers never countered that outside of hoping that their role players would make a lot of threes. It just, he, he got blustered and turned into his worst instincts. Like Boston turned him into the worst version of himself. And look, I, I get it. Like Robert Williams, I I, I think this needs to be mentioned. Robert Williams playing completely screwed the Sixers up. The, yeah. the two big lineup. Like it, I know PJ made had that great first quarter. Look, the Sixers, what, what, they were up, they had 29 in the first quarter because PJ was hitting his threes. So there, there were ways to counter that. And of course, the Sixers have their worst two, three point shooting games, like in a row of the season in the two games that matter. So that's, that's awesome. And that has nothing to do with Joel, uh, or James. Although they did contribute to some of those misses, but whatever. If he would just drive Al Horford, and kick the ball to PJ every possession because Williams is at the rim, I would buy that. I'd say, okay, that's, look, they're throwing a defensive coverage at you. These step-back post-ups that, like, he's not even coming close to penetrating against Horford, not good enough, man. Just yeah. just straight up not good enough. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, to your point, PJ had, you know, 11 points on, what was it, three for five shooting from three. You know what he ended up with? 11 points on three for six from three. And I don't bring that up to blame PJ Tucker at all, but, and this probably applies to Harden more than applies to anyone because Harden had driving lane after driving lane after driving lane and never even attempted to put real scoring pressure on the rim. He was completely content to just kick it out to people in the corner, which again, if you just take it in isolation, that's a fine play. P.J. Tucker doesn't want to carry the Sixers to victory. P.J. Tucker doesn't want to be the one lifting the Sixers on their back for four quarters. He can't do what he did in the first quarter the entire game. And Boston, you know, Robert Williams never, no matter how many threes P.J. Tucker made, Robert Williams never changed his coverage. He was always going to help off of that because he knows the Sixers aren't getting over the edge by P.J. Tucker scoring 30 points. It's just that at some point you need your stars to be stars and the Celtics were so effective at making sure that James Harden and Joel Embiid were not stars 
Sixers didn't have a chance. I don't even care. Like Sixers shot eight for 37 from three. That's not going to win you very many games. They shoot 12 for 37. They're not winning that game because their stars were just not good enough. And James drove me like even when they brought Robert Williams out, Al Horford was still overplaying that pocket pass because James Harden just had no interest in scoring at the rim. None at all. None at all. But, you know, and look, I, I think James's performance was bad. I look, I think some of those driving kicks he made were, were OK, though. I, no, I, I everyone, almost, not everyone, because he had that one where he tried to throw it to the wing and there was no sixer in the wing. And that was <laughs> followed that was by Joe throwing a, a backcourt violation. On the yeah, possession. yeah, that was, that was great stuff there. Um, no, I think almost every one of those passes, every one of those kickouts were defensible in the moment. But at some point, you need your your two stars to be able to carry an offense that's struggling. And the Sixers at no point were their two stars able to reignite an offense that was misfiring from the perimeter. Like you need a plan B if your you know role players aren't able to carry you. They had I they had yeah. no way. No, I, I think that's that's entirely fair. And look, I think I hold Joel to that standard more than James, but James also had nothing. But like, let, let's look at Joe for the entire series, though, by the way. If you look at this, James got him one game when Joe didn't even play. James got him a second game in which Joe melted down in the fourth quarter. They had one game where they both were really good, and I thought Joe was better. Okay, they had one normal game. Where's the game that Joe was great? Where's the game that he took over and they won? That's all he needed, and it's tough. I, you know, he's... Look, he's been the best thing for this franchise over the past decade. They've made so many mistakes. One of them, one of those mistakes scored, what, 51 points against them, one of the biggest ones in that game. But at some point in the games that matter, like this guy's got to play his best basketball, and he's not even close. And uh, it's, a, it's a really disappointing performance. He is getting absolutely shredded locally. Like this yeah. is this is very interesting because I've this never, series yeah. – this series starts with him getting the MVP award. Yep. It is a triumphant moment. He is probably the most popular player in the city, but I mean, you know, Jalen Hurts and Bryce Harper, whatever, but like he's on that level. Uh, and it ends, like you said, I've never, you know, it, uh, I, he got absolutely shredded. So I, don't, I actually don't know where it goes from here. I mean, I assume it'll get better just because time tends to heal, heal stuff, some yeah. wounds, not all wounds, but some wounds, you know. I uh, might heal the anger, but time isn't going to give anyone confidence. Like they, this, nobody, this team, not in any. I don't care. They can change a coach. We can talk about that. They can change Harden or Tobias. We can talk about that. This t- this fan base isn't going to have any confidence in this organization until they are able to prove them wrong, and they won't have a chance to prove them wrong now for a full calendar year. It's it's going to be fascinating. I've I think the anger is probably going to, you know, slowly turn to apathy, which isn't really great for an organization. But no. to, like you said, to go from winning the MVP, a triumph of skill development over a half decade, to even his supporters don't really believe in him right now, it's a wild roller coaster. It's wild. That happened in nine days, dude. I know. I know. Nine days. Not even nine days. It's, uh, <laughs> it's wild. I, this is, this is going to be such a tough conference finals because, I mean, obviously Tatum and Butler, Tatum being, and, and look, they never had a chance to draft Jason Tatum. We don't have to really relitigate that too much. Uh, if if the Sixers don't agree to not take Tatum, Boston doesn't trade out of that one pick. That being yeah. said, I talked to many people in that front office at the time. They didn't believe Jason Tatum could develop into being a top option, a top scoring option in this league. So like, I don't want to even give them a 
benefit of the doubt. They had a scouting miss as well as not having the opportunity to really draft Jason Tatum. But it's really Jimmy Butler that like they just there's a little bit too much similarity in Harden and Embiid when adversity hits. You need you need an equal to Embiid who has that kind of you know when the I don't, I'm I'm trying not to go too sports take here, but when adversity hits, they respond in a way that lifts up their team. Joe's just never done that. James has never really done that. And I'm a little worried that these two stars are a little too alike, not necessarily in game, obviously, because Joe's such a much more committed and impactful defender, but in how they react to adversity and how they, the little things, I'm really worried. And I think we knew that about James. Although I got to say, he, as, as bad as Harden was in four of the games, he gave four absolute stinkers. I think he was 12 of 55 in the four games. He did his job. He got them two wins. And it's, I, I just look at Joe and I think like, no, he's got to be the guy. He's the one that hurts because he's the one that we believed in. Yeah. Uh, and look, I, I think there is a chance. Well, w- one other thing on Tatum real quick. Tatum and the Celtics are just the, the Sixers complete polar opposite because look, Tatum, the Sixers, if Embiid and Harden showed up to play, they're probably not winning that game regardless because Tatum was spectacular. That was a... He didn't didn't even have a turnover. He had 51 points and zero turnovers. That was just a spectacular basketball game from that dude. Um, I think we need to point out, that guy went like 0 for the world in games 3 to 6 in the first half. And in game 6... He literally was keeping the Sixers in the game for three quarters. He was horrible. And the Sixers had the chance to not give him that game seven. They had the chance to have whatever the equivalent of of the the Celtics beat. Is there is there a podcast like that? I don't know. Sure. Whole CLNS they media. Would, they used to be our ad partners. They would have been killing Tatum going into the offseason. We the Celtics had more talent. He completely screwed the pooch. He was horrible. And the Sixers and Joel Embiid had the chance to do that on their home floor. They they earned it. Like, look, James Harden gave them a couple of games, and they were terrific in Game 5 in Boston. So they earned that opportunity, and when they are presented with that opportunity, what happens? The last six minutes of the game, their offense is a complete nightmare at the absolute worst time. They have the ball, I think, up to with 4.30 left in the game. And after the game, you have Joel saying, ah, I didn't get the ball. And you missed a bunch of threes and all these things. And look, th- that is the story of the Sixers and the Celtics. When, look, the Celtics might screw around, and they definitely probably screwed around a little bit in this series. But when the games really matter, and when you have an opportunity to completely knock out a team, the Celtics do it. I think their Game 7 records spell that out. And Jason Tatum does it. And when the Sixers have a chance, they do not. And Joel Embiid does not. And that is, unfortunately, I, it, it's just a it's a really tough thing for uh, for the Sixers just to to overcome. I, I just it's it's a really I feel bad for fans like when they've watched this story time and again. And you know, I saw a stat they have the second most wins since 2017-18 in the regular season. In that span, 14 teams have made the conference finals. They are not one of them. And I, I get it that I think there's a chance that the Celtics beat the hell out of the Heat. I, I really do. Yeah, I, I, me too. I, I think there's a chance that was the conference finals. 
Um, not to say that the Sixers would beat the hell out of the Heat in the same exact way. It's just, it's just really tough, man. I don't know. Yeah. No, look, I mean, this will probably, yeah. I mean, it's weird because like you said, this is a, this might be the best team left. Although, you know, hat tip to Denver. They're really playing well. This is, is one of the two best teams left in the playoffs. One of the two best teams coming into the playoffs, I think. And the Sixers played them, well, like through five games, really through six and three quarters games, the Sixers were overachieving relative to expectations. And they did enough, both Harden, a little bit in B, because he was really good in the middle part of the, the series. And the role players did enough to readjust our expectations and put them in a spot where they could rip our hearts out and take away any kind of confidence we have in them. The end of the series was that bad that it's impossible, impossible to look at a seven-game loss to the Boston Celtics as a positive. When coming in, I think most of us would have said, again, that's probably overachieving what our expectations are. Yep. You just can't, like, yeah, it's, you know, game one and game two and, and or game one and game four might matter just as much as game seven analytically. But you can't like the 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 mentality, the mindset. There's just not enough time to course correct if something goes wrong in the third quarter of Game Seven. And for them, and this is why I go back to Embiid and his defense to start because it's one thing for shots to not go in. You saw that with, you know, Celtics were playing with their lives on the line in Game Six, and Jason Tatum came out and was 0 for 11. But they were locked in. They were still playing defensively. It would be one thing if Embiid just came out and in Game Seven missed a couple of turnaround jumpers. He wasn't there to start. I just I can't get past that. I can't. Bam. Uh, and look, Harden was was bad too. Like, and I think when you when you look at Harden, there was just no middle ground in this series. He there was one game with the middle ground. He played two. He put together two absolute masterpieces. He played one really solid floor game in which the rest of the team was really good. Those were Embiid and Maxi's best games as well. And then the other four games were just... You Let me just ask can't you though, win. If, if, if Boston came out with this lineup to start the series, do you think... I think I think if Boston comes out with this lineup, they six is probably losing five. They had no probably. real answer for it. They had, no, they had no answer. I mean, sometimes you can find answers as the series goes along a little bit better sure. um, in terms of feeling it out. And look... Yeah, no, that that lineup was a complete game changer, which is crazy because the regular season was the exact opposite on uh, on that front. I think the Celtics would have had a couple of games where they really struggled to score with uh, with that offense. I know they struggled to score anyway, so maybe they would have taken that in uh, in the aggregate. It's uh, it's tough. I mean, look, the Sixers they're three point shooting in those last two games, horrendous, horrendous, and, and I, I go back to this. As much as Joel and James were bad, all you need is a normal three-point shooting game in Game Six, and you knock these suckers off. You don't have and a chance to disappoint in Game Seven. Yeah, I I really think Game Six is is probably is it more harmful than the Ben Simmons loss? I I think it is. In fact, I I do because Joel took such a big hit in Game Seven, and that didn't have to happen. You go from triumph and advancing and getting to the next spot to oh my god the, the most embarrassing game of your career yep. here it is get ready yep. for it yep 
And as bad as Joe was, and as bad as James was, and as much as Doc at the initial part of that game was not really ready for that too, too big lineup, if Melt hits his threes in that game, they win. Yeah. If Tyrese hits his open, I think Tyrese was one of seven on open threes. They shot six of 25 on wide open threes in that game. And they go out and have a similar performance in game seven. For their three-point shooting to completely leave them in the two biggest games of the season. This is the best three-point shooting team in the entire league. That is, I mean, that's so Sixers it hurts. It just, yeah. there's no words for that. And that, that has nothing to do with Joe. That has nothing to do with James. They just didn't make shots when they needed to. And it's, that sucks. Yeah. No, game six, I, I certainly agree with you there. Yeah, I mean, game seven would have been a loss regardless, but might not not have been quite as big of a loss. Game six could have won. Really could have beat him. And it's it's funny well, because... Well, and also because at least Joe was playing pretty well through three quarters of game six, too. It wasn't like he was a no-show in game six up until the last few minutes. And And I think the word you used, overachieve, is a good one, right? Because... You leave this series saying, oh, yeah, the, the better team definitely won. Like, they had a couple of blowouts. Like, they they could have won. So it's it's ridiculous that only the Sixers can have a series in which the gap feels as wide as it's ever been between them and the Celtics. And you can also say, oh, my God, they missed an unbelievable chance to beat them. Yeah. That doesn't happen in the NBA. That's like a, a football type of thing where it's a one-game sample or whatever. No, no, no. They literally blew a golden opportunity to finish these guys. And yet at the end of that series, you go, Oh my God, the gap between these teams is insanely wide. No. And it's so much, not a, they lost in seven to the best or second best team in the league. It is a, I have lost confidence in the person who this entire franchise is built around. It'll be interesting to see how that changes over the course of the summer, whether that gets softened a little bit, but he was just not. Uh, uh, I can't. It it blew my mind. I, I I came out. You know, after they lose Game Six, you have a lot of sort of you, you envision the game playing out, and I saw I saw the game playing out a lot of different ways. I did not envision Joel Embiid coming out and just looking like he wasn't there mentally to start. And it's one thing like, all right, maybe bad body language, maybe he presses. Or maybe get scared at the moment after Tatum hits like a billion threes there in the second, third quarters. I could have envisioned that the opening of that game. I just I didn't see it playing out that way at all. It, it really disappointing stuff. Really, and I, I think as the summer goes on, you can say, all right, well, if they make enough shots in Game Six, then they win and triumph and beat your nemesis and advance. Mm. It's hard for me to do that given how that played. It's just it's it's hard. It's hard. It, look, that that is true, but at some point. Teams deal with adversity, and how you handle that adversity is really important. And look, Joel, after the game, made a point of, you know, if I'm not winning the title, you know, do I am I really happy if I come in second or third or whatever? And I think that is a fair point. Like, when you lose, maybe gets a little bit overblown, although I do understand fans just being like, can you can you at least get past this round? It's, it's well, ridiculous that you I lose in the same spot. You said earlier is key here. It's one thing if... All right. I, what was it? J.J. Redick, not every season ends in tears, but most of the good ones do. Something like that. That I think that's largely true because only one team is really happy about their season when all is said and done. The difference, it's not so much for me the second round that they lost in the second round again and failed to get past the second round for the you know sixth year in a row. It's the fact that they don't have that signature win 
in the playoffs. If they don't have that series win over a better team, if they haven't elevated their game and beating beaten somebody who was favored coming in. The the thing with getting to the conference finals or the finals is that you've beaten a really good, possibly great team to get there. They just they haven't have done it. And I think that's Six a great years. point by you because it. that's that to me is a key, much more than the second round thing. Yeah, it's 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 tough. And and I also think in this case, you know, when you lose is, is one thing, but but how you lost is is bad. You, you went out sorry. Like I, I get it. Okay, fine. You have the bad game six. You you don't shoot well. You complain about the fouls. Whatever. You you got to respond. Like like losing is one thing, but losing in that fashion is another thing. <laughs> and I think it's fair to point out that you can't get blown out because you don't have the energy. And uh, and Joe takes most of the uh, most of the brunt there. And you know we'll talk about Harden because I don't think he's ever going to have two playoff games in a series like that ever again. No. So. That that's a tremendous waste op, wasted opportunity. Um, but but to me, unfortunately, Joe was the story here, and it's I like look. I, I want to have sympathy for him. I, I I get it. I think he's pretty banged up playing in that series. Mm-hmm. I, I I still can't defend it though. I you it, just can't defend that performance. If, if you're if you're banged up, that like then your focus has to be even higher. Like you have to be more focused because you can't do what you normally do physically. And he, I don't think he was focused on that game. Now, I won't say he wasn't focused on that game because I'm sure that's what he was thinking about. But his focus was not good enough to win at the highest level and in, in that kind of pressure pack environment. It was stunning. Here, it was stunning. And he's he's banged up every year. Like that that just has not happened. He has not had a healthy playoff run. But man, at some point, just if you're that good, you got to find a way to break through. And that was a disappointing series in its own right. But I think when you also have the Sixers' history and have Joel's history, it, it makes it even tougher. And you know what you mentioned? Uh, I, I want to get one last point, I think, before maybe we get in a dock. Is, uh, you mentioned the apathy. I think that is right on the money. Because, man, the, the lack of trust that this team has and the, the kind of skepticism and, I don't know, oh, here we go again, that this fan base has for this team – I noticed that in a big way during this playoff run. It's going to be multiplied by five now. It's just yeah. they're going to have to overcome not a lot of enthusiasm about this team, and I, and frankly, I think they've earned it. Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. You like? I'm not going to sit here and say that Joe can't have a long playoff run over the course of his career. I can't. I'm not going to say he no, can't I'm, be. A I'm champion, not saying that. But. He has to prove people wrong. He has to prove people to people that he can succeed in these kind of environments before they will believe that he can. And again, I think that's different than, you know, writing an epitaph on a tombstone, but he has to prove it. It's just, it's the reality of where we're at. And we can go back to various examples. You know, I think, you know, Dirk is the one that everyone's pointing to. Well, Dirk had more playoff success before. um, Much more. He, it's, you have to win a series that people remember. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game 
Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, let's go to Doc. Um... There's a report from Ramona Shelburne of ESPN. <laughs> All right, let's go to Doc. Ugh. I mean, it's like yeah. it's like Matt Cord. It's like Matt Cord after like a sad bucket in February. Tatum for three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, report from Ramona Shelburne, and I think Ramona is as plugged into these Sixers stars as anybody. Uh, that the decision on Doc Rivers will impact. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. I don't have it in front of me, but basically, that decision on Doc Rivers will imp- influence James Harden's desire to come back. We talked to James after Game Seven. Like we said, Harden's response was, "Our relationship is okay," which okay is like you know when I go to a restaurant and it disappoints me, I say, "Yeah, the food was okay." It means I'm never coming back. If I go to the restaurant and give a review that the food was okay, I'm never coming back to that restaurant. And for him to be so short in his response, you know, you can add that with the Ramona report. And I think it's not too tough to read in that he might not be the biggest Doc Rivers fan. We can have a discussion of whether James Harden is good enough right now to dictate a coaching uh, position. (laughs) But I think it's pretty clear there might not be a, a lot of love there. Do you think Doc is brought back and do you think he should be brought back? I don't think Doc is going to be back. I don't think he should be back. But I'll add one more thing. I don't think the reason he should be back is because James Harden is uh, does not like him. Now, I understand that is going to play a factor, especially if James is brought back. But still, I am coming to the same conclusion as James Harden. And, uh, like, we could talk about Doc this series. I don't think, ultimately, you look at this series and say, man, Doc was a disaster. Yeah. He had a couple of, of nice wins. uh Game you know, one, especially when you, like, again, like, he, he wins the shorthanded game. They execute a little bit better down the stretch in game four, although I will say there was a big offensive collapse happening uh, before that, that that he also oversaw. Game five was, you know, just a, a clean, perfectly well-executed game. Didn't really solve the two big lineup. I, you know, I don't know what, what he would have done. Like, I, I don't know if they had the personnel to actually overcome that. That was a... Like you said, that was a card that I'm not sure the Sixers really could overcome once 
once Missoula finally played it, and they almost overcame it because it took them until game six, yeah. down 3-2 to play Oh, no, it. if I was a Boston fan, you'd be going, what the hell, why did it take so long? You needed James yeah. Harden to be like 2018 James Harden to beat that. So I look at that series, and I look at some of the complaints I heard over the weekend about Doc Rivers of, oh, he, do- he doesn't experiment enough in the regular season. Oh, Jaden Springer didn't play in the lineup. Oh, Jaden Springer's not a factor in this at all. And then I hear stuff like, oh, well, what if he went all defense? What if he switched? What if he went hyperspacing or whatever? And I'm just thinking like, yeah, like, nah, in the playoffs, you win with balance. Like, I I tend to think that that's how it works. You have to kind of balance out offense and defense. I I really don't complain too much about how Doc played. I mean, honestly, what I would have complained about with Doc is that he didn't start Niang or Melton in that game. But PJ had an amazing first quarter, so I can't even, like, what are we supposed to do? That was... The first yeah, quarter was the only was time the right, they executed offensively. Whether or not it was the right decision, like it, it clearly worked. I, whatever confidence got instilled in uh in PJ. I mean, PJ airballs the first shot, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna have to rip Doc yeah. a new one." And then yeah. he played really well. So even that one, I I can't even get too uh too bummed about. But I I have two things on the Doc Rivers part of this, and the first one. You know, we talk a lot about in in the NBA, you know, fairness. Like, should Monty Williams have gotten fired? Should Bud have gotten fired? Should uh, Nick Nurse have gotten fired? I think Monty Williams was kind of the big one. Just because he really only had a couple games with Kevin Durant and his team was just completely thin and playing so many bad players. and, And Denver had been together for a long time and the new owner fires him. But I look at Doc and I see... Three chances with the new and improved Joel Embiid to get past the second round. And he's 0 for 3. And and were any of those like really his fault? I think the first one was probably yeah. the worst one, right? The Atlanta uh, if one. If you're I think. ranking like villains of that that Hawk series, Ben Simmons number one, Doc Rivers number two. And then the last two not really I his don't fault. Know. I, no. I, not not really his fault. But nevertheless, he is 0 for 3. And that is the number that Brett Brown got. Brett Brown got three chances. And that, you know, as much as I argue with people about coaching and how much it matters and, and Doc's importance and all of this and what he could do, I, I do subscribe to the idea of you only get so many chances, right? <laughs> like, that's that's how it works. You, you, you get a couple swings at this, and I, and I think three is a pretty good number. And if you don't get through, then you probably do deserve to to get moved on from. Like, I, I don't think that would be a bad move. But the the other reason, too, and, and this is even beyond the James Harden piece of this, I, I would also say, I think even from a PR standpoint, <laughs> like I think you kind of got to move on from him just because so many of your fans, I don't know what the exact number is, and I, I don't know, I don't think uh, organizations should be completely run by public relations, but so many of your fans completely despise this guy. And if you're trying to sell that next year is different, and if you bring back Harden, and, and this is like kind of the same core they have, something has to change. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you, you cannot run back the same crew after you go out that sorry. And it's like we've said at all times, firing the coach is the easiest thing to do. If, if you eat the money, Doc said he had two years left. Okay, like eat that money, Josh Harris, you know. That's what what is that? One one thousandth of the commanders? Like eat that money uh to uh to bring in a new person. And ultimately I can't argue with that. I can't really argue with either of those things. So that that is where I'm at. And uh I think 
maybe a little bit for those reasons, but also because of the James Harden piece, I do not expect Mr. Rivers to be back. Yeah, no, look, like you, I don't necessarily think he was atrocious in either of these last two second round series, but he was pretty bad in the Hawks series. And when you have an opportunity like that and you make mistakes, you lose a little bit of the equity that you have built up where, all right, maybe the next two weren't your fault, but because you came up short in the first one, the cumulative mm-hmm. effect of it's just time to move on. So you, you, when you have an opportunity to accomplish something, you can't miss on that opportunity. So I'm not going to feel too guilty if he ends up being a casualty, even while acknowledging he really wasn't their biggest problem in this series. But I think the biggest reason is just, like you said at the end there, it's the easiest lever to pull. It's the one that has the least impact, least downside on the franchise. It's the one that is, you don't have to worry about salary cap implications or other teams agreeing to a trade. You can pull that lever right now if you want. And maybe it doesn't do anything. Maybe it doesn't get Joel Embiid focused in a game seven. Maybe it doesn't, you know, they talked so much about, you know, Joel Embiid getting in better shape. Well, he looked freaking gas at the end of pretty much every game here, five, six, and seven. Maybe it doesn't get him into, you know, Giannis level conditioning. Maybe it doesn't, you know, change any of that. But you've got to try. You've just, you've just, like you said, you can't, there was, you could talk people in to run it back when it was Jimmy Butler and, you know, all of that. You can't talk it back when you're blowing game seven like this. You're just, run, hashtag run it back isn't going to be a thing. And that is, you know, like you, I think the coaching carousel can be a little bit ridiculous at times. My stance has always been, this is a player's league. And if your stars come up short, then probably not a whole lot you can do. All right, well, let's try another one and see whether or not you can get through the stars and get them to reach their highest levels in the second round and in the tough playoff series. Is that fair to Doc? Maybe not, but it's just sort of life in the NBA. It's when you get to these stakes... That's what you're dealing with. That's why. That's why you get a guaranteed contract. By the way, you'll be okay. I'm not going to. Cr- I'm not going to cry a guy a river who's going to no. get paid eight million dollars if he decides not to coach per per year. Uh, so, yeah, and it's one of those things where I feel like I've defended him for a long time, but but at some point, you just got to try something new. You know, you gotta <laughs> you gotta shake things up. So that's that's kind of my thought on this, and uh, ultimately, I. Th- Look, I, I don't know. We're, we're speculating, like you said, but I think I would be kind of surprised if uh, if he's back. And, uh, you know, for our sanity, if he left, like it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because the new coach would probably get a little bit of a grace period, right? From the, from what? <laughs> from, from the fans? Yeah, just it wouldn't be fire doc after every game, yeah. right? That would no. take a little while. No. And You wouldn't have fire nurse after everyone, fire Monty. That might take a little while. Although, it, again, well, they don't well, really that, end their season on a high note anyway. That's the other thing, too. I mean, you know, we don't have to get into who they would hire yet, but, like, there's a lot of really high-profile coaches who are out there who, Mm -hmm. you know, other teams. But here's the thing, though. All of those other high-profile coaches, I follow enough people on NBA Twitter. They all follow their teams as well. And Suns fans want nothing to do with Monty Williams. Nothing to do with that guy. Bucks fans are ready to move on before they won that championship. They wanted Bud out of there. There was one Kevin Durant foot away from Bud being gone years ago. And it's funny because like Raptors fans are tired of Nick Nurse, and now those Suns fans really want Nick Nurse, and it's yeah. just like, I, I mean, that's why I call. I think the discourse is kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah, I think the discourse is kind of crazy on this. If you're passionate about your team and and you want everything to go right, and I everybody bringing up easy. Jay Wright, like, why the fuck would Jay Wright come in? Maybe he just really wants a coach in the NBA, but like, dude's got a good gig. He's Philadelphia royalty. I wouldn't fuck that up by coming to the NBA. Not with this team. 
I just never understand why you would turn the keys over to a guy who's never coached in the NBA too. Like I, to me, that's a two way street. I think Jay Wright is unbelievable, but I don't know. Whatever. We don't have to get into Jay Wright. It's uh. So yeah, I, I think Doc is is probably not long for Philadelphia, uh, and that's okay. I, I'm okay with that. Like I I, I get it. That's uh. That's nope. ultimately what it was. But it's I do think it is fitting that his last game as a Sixers coach. The one major decision that he had to make actually worked, <laughs> and MB and Harden were a disaster, and they had no chance to win. Yep. The only thing I will say about Doc and all this is pretty much the same thing I said when Brett Brown was let go. Just don't expect this to be a magic fix. Like it's not. It's not going to just instantly flip your franchise and take away all their problems. That's unlikely to be true. I'll add another one too. You're gonna, you know, if you hated Doc Rivers and Brett Brown, guess what? You're gonna hate the next guy too. Yeah. I guarantee you. Yep. You're gonna hate that person. That person is not gonna do enough uh things. So that's that's all I'm saying. It's not a magic fix, but I, I think it's it's a worthwhile one. I think I think you brought this up. There's only one coach in the league who's really a magic fix, uh, and he is coaching in the next round. And Spo is not gonna be available. He's not available to anybody. Yes, yeah, Spo is the one guy where I think, okay, that that's the guy who really elevates uh, his team as a uh, as a coach. Really didn't want to have. I, I really like. I expected them to lose in the second round. I did not expect to have this podcast. I did not expect to be this despondent. Remember how positive? Like I don't want to say positive because we're talking like thirty to forty percent chance they win, but relatively optimistic we were heading into Game Seven. Boy, we're fucking idiots. Don't listen to no, anything it- we have to say. Oof. Don't listen to that game six pod where I thought <laughs> no. these guys were different. And I, I think we did a good job today to just not. I mean, like we, we really did. They made us sound like complete dumbasses. Complete and, morons. And like, it's like, you know, I'm not. I've sounded like a dumbass before, but I, I think we uh, we weren't over the top in our criticism just because they made us sound like dumbasses. But but they certainly did. So it's great. Well. Once again, it was a pleasure podcasting with you. I think we're going on a decade now. Because right, we were we were podcasting together at the time they drafted Embiid, and that will be a decade next year. We probably started sometime in in 2013. So our our 10 year and podcast anniversary is coming up sometime. I don't know exactly when, but sometime. Once again, it was a a pleasure talking Sixers basketball with you. I look forward to doing it in the future. And take care. I'd say take care. Like we're gonna podcast later this week. It's not like you're going anywhere, but like you know, it was fun. It was fun. And and also, shout out to our tens of listeners. Thank you for <laughs> yeah. continuing to listen to us. And I, subscribers. I it. You know, we both write for subscription outlets. Thank you again. I, you literally make our jobs possible. So, so thank you. And uh, I guess we're sorry that your team doesn't love you. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm sorry they put it's, you through this. I really am. I really am. Look, we just cover them. But it's I, – I, I, look, I think being a fan of this team – and I'm laughing nervously, but I'm I'm really not – um, I'm laughing because I, I feel so bad for everybody. It's just being a fan of this specific iteration and all the times they've messed up and all the times they've disappointed you and all the times they've come up small and none of the times that the opposite of those things are true is, uh, it has to be really hard. So, uh, I just give, uh, give everybody a collective hang in there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. We love you. Maybe, maybe <laughs> it's not about the championship. Maybe it's about the journey. I don't know. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.